great promise of God. Oh, I think I just came on, huh? How about that? Yeah. So that's a, that's a great thing, to know that God, we have access to God, and we can go directly to him if we're pure and, and God takes that sin. We don't have to remember it no more. We have to then understand that if we are going to get to God, the only way that keeps us from drawing near to God is this thing called sin. James 1.14 says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So the de- desire comes before temptation. It's not temptation itself, but our desire for something that leads us into sin. Okay, think with me for a moment. Anybody hungry already for lunch? You thinking about what you're going to have for lunch? No? I hope not. But if you are, let's just say I had a bowl up here, and I had a bowl of gravel, rocks, a bowl of gravel. And I'm like, oh, this is great gravel. It's the best gravel you're ever going to eat. It's awesome, right? No matter how, what spin I put on it, how much I tried to sell it, you're not buying it. That's not fulfilling your desire, your hunger pains, okay? Now let's think for a minute. I'm going to use an example, but if you don't like the one I use, think about your own favorite food, okay? Um, I'm going to go home today. Maybe this isn't quite true, but uh, I'm going to see the steak on the grill, a little prime rib, grilled, medium well. You don't even need a knife, really, to cut it. It's so tender. Don't, definitely don't need steak sauce, right? Okay? i uh, got a baked potato with it with some heapings of sour cream and and butter, and started it off with a Caesar salad, and, and uh, man, my, my mouth's watering already, right? You have a desire. Whatever food you use, your desire is what, and that's not a bad desire. You got to eat, right? But that desire is, is the thing that, that can get us in trouble sometimes. Um, desires are born. Desires can only exist where something is lacking, And since we are humans damaged by the fall, we have many things in our lives that are lacking. Desires are born out of a real or perceived need that we think needs to be met. So we desire food when we're hungry, warmth when we're cold. Those are perfectly adequate desires. We're all going to have those. Um, But we also desire maybe a sense of power and authority, so we abuse or oppress another people. Maybe our desires are not always right, or we lack a sense of achievement, so we overwork at the expense of our family. So there's all the other desires that, that are not necessarily good, and we've got to be, be understand this concept. Why do we choose sin to fill the places we lack? Or as Isaiah asked in Isaiah 55, 6, why do we spend our money for that which is not bread and our labor for that which is not satisfied? The answer to that question gets us to the root of all sin, and it's the reason for the sermon series. Unbelief is the root of every sin. We choose to sin to fill the places in our lives that lack because we don't believe God can really fill it himself. Let me give you an example of how this works. Let's take anxiety. That's going to be one of the topics we, we, we talk about over this, this message. But anxiety, the example in Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches that you don't have to worry, right? God takes care of us. God takes care of the birds. He takes care of everything. He's got the numbers of your hair numbered, so the hairs of your head numbered. So he's going to take care of you. But we still sin by worrying, right? Well, why do we do that? Well, we have a temptation to figure out how to handle a situation by ourselves. And that comes from a, a desire to feel protected and in control. 
So we kind of lack a sense of security and safety because we truly don't believe in God's provision. So the sin ultimately comes back to what we truly believe. If we want to fight sin, we have to change belief. We must take to heart the fact that God provides, and he provides for the birds, and we have more value than they do, so he'll provide for us. We don't fight worry by trying to stop being anxious. We fight it by believing God's promises and seeking his kingdom first. And as Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The more we put our faith in who God is and the more he fills all the places that are lacking in us, he creates new desires in our hearts. These new desires cut temptation's legs out from under it and lead us away from sin and toward holiness. So the first way to gain, to help us with our access and advocacy that Jesus provides for us is to come near to God. The second way is that we have faith in Christ, the, the second way that he works it out in our lives is in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So we are to hold on to the hope we have in Jesus. One of the advantages of technology is this thing called Google, right? Okay, we can use it for bad things, but I like to Google uh, even on the internet, Google words, right? See what they mean. It's a great Bible study tool. Just look at a word. See what it means. Look it up. Um, I even get the Bible definition right there on my, on my computer. So I'm going to do that with two of the words that we're going to talk about here. The first word, which isn't really in that text, it talks about wavering, but the NIV uses the word unswervingly, right? Instead of wavering. The idea is that an upright object not inclining at all from the perpendicular. That's probably why I like it. That's a math word, that perpendicular, right? I teach math. Okay, parents, what do you think about when you think of that word unswervingly? If, you, if you're a parent, maybe, and you've tried to drive with your son or daughter, maybe it's driving. Yeah, that's what I think about. I think about unswervingly, right? We're going to go straight, and we're going to try straight down the middle of the road, right? No little small animal there. Doesn't matter. You don't swerve. Just kill the thing. That's okay, right? You teach your kids that, I hope. Not, maybe a deer. You might break, right? But um, unswervingly. I teach driver ed, so I've, I've done that a few times. You know, kids are swerving. I, I reach over, grab the wheel. In fact, it's kind of a habit. I was a few months ago with a friend, a new friend. Hadn't known him for very long. Um, driving down the road with this guy, he's a little older than me. He's, he was swerving a little bit. Instinct, not kidding. No one else was in the car. I grabbed the wheel. What did I just do? I apologized. But, you know, he, he wasn't going straight. He was going off course. He, what, we, can't, we had to hold on to that hope. We, can't, we have that hope in Jesus Christ. We have that hope, and we've got to go straight for that unswervingly toward him. The second word is hope. Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. It's grounds for believing something good may happen. So what I want you to do is think about what you're hoping for in the next week to a month. Okay, got it? Raise your hand if it was something bad. Of course not, right? That's the hope. That's not hope. It's not bad. Hope always has a better result in mind. 
That's why when people think they have no hope, they make poor decisions, right? Why does a Christian have hope? Well, I think it's obvious, but I'm going to answer it anyway. Um, Our ultimate destiny is with Jesus. We don't worry about what happens to us after we die because we know. But not just that, we have an abundant life here on earth as well. And John, Jesus said, I have come so that you can have life and have it to the full. So we can have hope no matter what our circumstances are, and we're to hold on to that hope unswervingly because Jesus promised these things, and we know he's faithful. I was talking with Aaron about this sermon, and he brought up a great point. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Have you ever thought about in heaven, about faith and hope? Are we going to need faith in heaven? I don't think we need faith, right? Because we're right there with Jesus. We don't need hope. What's our hope in? Our hope's in Jesus. He's going to be standing right beside us, right? How about love? Probably still going to love in Jesus. Maybe that's why the greatest of these is love. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Faith and hope, we won't need it. Jesus will be right there. Love will always be there. So we're to draw near to God in faith. We're to hold on to the things. We're to hold on to the hope we have in Jesus. And then finally, the last practical application of the access and advocacy we have in Jesus is found in verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the last thing we must do is consider one another in love. The NIV word again is spur. Spur. When you think of spur, when I think of spur, I think of a Riding a uh, horse, right? You got the spurs on there and you want it to go faster, so you give it a little encouragement. Um, It means to provoke or stir up. Not to provoke or stir up in an angry way, like we usually think of the word provoke, but provoke others to good deeds. Well, how do we do that? Well, we're supposed to consider how to do that. In other words, it's probably not a real easy thing to do, and we we really need to think about it. Okay? So we're going to do that. I want you to consider for a few seconds how you may spur one another on toward love and good deeds and let God's Spirit just talk to you. So just, if you have trouble, just sit there in silence for a couple seconds. Mull that verse over in your mind. Consider, consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Don't you love silence? I love silence. Awkward silence sometimes? No. I don't think so. I want God to speak to you. I don't know how many times I've been sitting in that out here and something goes through my mind because something that's been said on stage or sometimes it's not even said on stage but I'm just thinking about something I'm considering. So I want you to consider. Here's a couple things. If nothing went through your mind, I'm sure it did, but something else to consider. Um... Ways that we can provoke each other to love and good deeds. Number one, prayer. Maybe you see something that's not working right, or you see someone who needs prayer. It's, you know, you pray for them. You just go ahead and pray for them. You pray to change a situation. And maybe even you tell them that you're praying for them. 
Anybody ever told you they're praying for you? That's pretty encouraging, you know? Number two, example. A lot of important virtues in life are caught, not taught. Your godly example is a way you're spurring people on. Do you watch other people live for Jesus and become encouraged to live closer to Jesus? I do. Do it all the time, right? In fact, my good friend who was already on stage today, John McCoy, is one that I've watched closely the last four years. I can honestly say in four years, I've never seen the guy get mad. I've never really seen him raise his voice. He's been an elder with me for four years, and uh, he's been a great example to me. In fact, in one elder meeting, my attitude wasn't so hot. Bet you can't imagine that, right? My wife's saying, yeah, I can. Um, and so, I don't know, I had a bad day, whatever. Well, the next day, instead of like, you know, he called me up. He didn't say, why are you such a jerk yesterday in the meeting? No, he didn't say that. He said, how you doing? wrong I'm like I think I'm okay and and then as we talked um, I realized you know why he was calling and I'm like wow that's powerful you know he thought enough of me to confront me on an issue of an attitude when I didn't even know I had it to be honest until after he called and I thought about it again so who's encouraging you it's a great thing to do. Tell that person, whoever it is. It's a great thing. That's encouraging if you know you're encouraging someone else. If someone tells you it, receive it graciously. The author goes on to list two other ways that we can provoke each other to love and good deeds. The first is that we meet together. Evidently, because of persecution and other reasons, the believers have stopped meeting all the time. How can we spur one another on if we're not, if we're not with people, Right? Recent studies have found that the average church attender goes to church 1.7 times a month. That's crazy. 1.7 times a month. Well, why should we go to church? I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, right? Have you heard that before? I've heard that before, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't need to be there. Well, I don't know. I think there's a lot of reasons. I'm going to give you four. So, Four reasons I think you need to go to church. Uh, I just think there's something special about being together with Christ and his people in church. Seeing and hearing stories of how God's works in people's lives is something that you can't get by yourself. Secondly, corporate worship. You know, I don't care how many times in my bedroom I put the headphones on and I sing to some song. It's not the same as worshiping with God's people and seeing you guys worship. It's just not the same. It never will be the same. When I'm with people, I see people worship. I'm encouraged. Um, where do we learn? Number three, where do we learn the great truths of the Bible? Eh, we can learn them on the internet. We can listen to sermons. But I still think the best way to learn God's word is through coming to church. And finally, where do we go to, for soul care, right? How do, we take care of, how do you take care of your soul? You can maybe practice, maybe, I doubt it, but faith and hope without church. But how do you practice love? Most of the time, the people... Uh, we can spur on our people we have at least some kind of relationship with, right? So how can we obey this command if we're not with people? Worship service, men's and women's ministry groups, life groups, individual discipleship. I don't know what it is for you, but who are you doing life with? The author pleads with us to make sure we continue to meet with other believers. Second way to provoke people is through encouragement or exhortation. Well, how's that different than spurring or provoking? Well, this in this specific instance he's talking about exhortation with words 
we can do it other ways, but this is with words. In fact, probably when I had you consider a few minutes ago, most of you probably thought about things you could say to someone else, and that's fine. Encouragement is a strong tool. When you say something to someone, it's a strong way to, incur, to, to lift them up. I can remember back my freshman year in college, yeah, 1985, actually it was 84 in the fall. I'm old, thank you. John, Pastor John reminds me of that every elder meeting. Um, I was a freshman at Grace College on the basketball team, trying to make the team. Still trying to find my place on the team. Quite frankly, the first few months I hadn't played very well, and I just wondered if I was even going to make the varsity. We had a JV, so I thought maybe I'd be on the JV. We're in preseason conditioning, and one of the starters, who was a junior at the time, comes up to me, and uh, he, he saw I was struggling with running. You look at me like, yeah, I can see why you'd struggle with running. Your legs are real short. Um, had a nice nickname for that in college, but we won't go there. Uh, and he just said to me, keep working hard. You know, keep working hard. You don't have to uh, hurt yourself, but work hard. And you know what? We're going to need you this year on this team. We need you. <laughs> what? You need me? That was so encouraging to me. That, that made me think that maybe, maybe I can do it now, right? Because he believed in me. I'm sure you can remember things that, that people you care about said to you that's lifted your spirits and encouraged you. True encouragement comes from the heart and it meets a need in another person. True encouragement gives confidence and hope to the person you're speaking to. True encouragement helps change beliefs and points us toward Jesus. Don't be afraid to tell people in your life how important they are to you and how they are helping you. So our core principle for this series is that we must battle unbelief for the sake of love, holiness, and sin killing. Because believing God's promises is the biblical pathway to love, holiness, and sin killing. Sin has its root in unbelief, and we must look to God's promises to overcome that unbelief and doubt that lies behind the sin. We must change our desires by believing God's promises are all I need. So we have three goals for you in this sermon series. Our goals are, number one, we want you to grow in love through greater joy. We want you to pursue holiness by a greater treasure. And finally, we want you to kill sin with a superior pleasure. So this week, as you go out, let us draw near to God in faith. Worship, pray, read your Bible, get closer to God. To do that, we've got to change the way we think. We change the way we think by reading God's Word. Let the truth of His promises permeate your minds, your decisions, and your understanding of the world. That's what we want to happen through this sermon series. Let God's word grab a hold of you. Read it. Let it transform your thinking. Believe it to be true and then live on those beliefs. Secondly, hold on to the hope. The hope that is built on the confidence you have that Christ has done for us and what he's done for us and, and what, what's waiting for us. And finally, consider one another in love by meeting with other believers consistently and by encouraging one another. As I close, I want to read Romans 4, verses 19 through 21. This is about Abraham. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, 
Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. He did not waver through unbelief. He was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. That's encouraging to me. Abraham, even though he was old, and even though it went against anything he should have believed, he believed God's promises. And guess what? God came through for him. But you know what else is encouraging to me is when people of this congregation live out the sermon that I'm giving right now, and they do the same thing. And uh, this week I was, I was reading on Facebook, it can be a positive thing, and some of you know Nick and Shannon Carpenter. Shannon wrote something on Facebook that I want to read to you. Um, if you know Nick and Shannon or if you don't, a little bit about their story is they've, uh, the last, I don't know, year and a half, two years ago, Nick came down with cancer. They struggled with cancer. Um, Nick went through a lot of treatments. He was considered cancer-free, uh, I don't know how long ago. But his immune system is really, really low. So he gets sick a lot, even though he's supposedly cancer-free. And every time he gets sick, there's that thought, did the cancer come back? Um, so, and they have three young kids still at home. So, in the background of that, Shannon wrote this on Facebook this week. On social media, I've seen lots of not-today-Satan-type statements, memes, teas, etc. Always understood, but not something I found myself saying. Fast forward into yesterday, Easter Sunday, Adeline had a rough week and woke up clearly sick, cough, fever. Nick was sick. Adeline was sick. They weren't going to be able to come to church. This after a rough Easter last year with Nick mid-treatment. I was feeling angry. So angry. I wanted it to be my way. I wanted happy, smiling faces to match this beautiful, sunny holiday that represents new life. I sat down on my bed to shed some tears and mope in my anger. <clears throat> then it hit me. No. <clears throat> Satan doesn't get to steal this day this beautiful day and celebration of Jesus' defeat of darkness. That's what he wants. He's trying to steal this day. No. Right then, right there, I said the words, not today, Satan. So I wiped my tears, medicated my kid, put everyone in pretty dresses and said, we're doing this. We took our pretty pictures outside with smiling faces. Every time the girls got flustered or angry, I had them say to me, not today, Satan. You don't get this day. It was a choice. I chose. She goes on in her story, which I would truly cry if I read the middle passage, which is even more touching. And then she, she, earns, she, she ends with uh, this. As the baby cries for what feels like the hundredth time tonight, my head aches, my heart hurts, and my husband is an hour away sick as a dog, I choose to say, not today, Satan. You don't get this day. And instead, I see a toddler always on the run who just wants a cuddle, which I beg for on most occasions. I see a mother who took off work early, picked up my kids, and played with them, fed them, and cleaned up around the house. I see a beautiful evening at the park, watching my girls climb, swing, and the slide getting to just be kids. Before, because I choose joy, not on my own, but with the help and grace of God each and every day. Man, that's super encouraging to me. I don't know about you. That spurs me on to love and good deeds. When I see someone struggling 
and they believe in the promises of God and they let those promises work in their life. Shannon is not wavering in unbelief regarding the promises of God, but is being strengthened in her faith and giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he promised. Believe those promises this week and know as you do, you are encouraging others as well. Let's pray. Father God, we know your promises are true. We believe them, but at times we still doubt. At times we're human, we fall, we lack. Only you can fill that lack, that emptiness in our lives. When we try to fill it in other ways, it just doesn't work. And I pray this week that we will fill those promises. We will fill that lack. We will fill them with your promises. We will fill them with you. Help us to do that. Help us today to encourage, to consider how we may encourage others. And maybe even take the time to write a note, call someone, step out and do something for someone else that maybe we've been meaning to do for a long time but just haven't had the time. Thank you for faith, hope, and love. And I pray this week as we see Jesus, as we see you move through us, that would be because your love is working in our lives and people will know we're different because of that love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.